On this episode of Resi Week, we talk cybersecurity, Snap One invests in the cloud, and CC's new display. All this and more on this episode of Resi Week. The network for the AV industry. What are you listening to? This. This is AV. This. This. This is AV Nation. This is AV Nation. This is Resi Week, episode 386, Professional Grade. Welcome to this episode of Resi Week. This is your weekly roundup of all the latest news and stories for the residential AV industry. I'm your host, Matt D. Scott for avnation.tv. And these this week, I'm pleased to be joined by two of my longstanding friends. First, we have the one and only Mr. Todd Puma. He's the president of the Source Home Theater and popping up in all your social feeds with guitars. So, Glad you have some in the background. How are you doing, Todd? I just want to make sure I kept the image going. You know, I don't want to disappoint. No, never. Uh, then <laughs> we have his good friend, my good friend, Mr. Mark Feinberg. He's the president of Home Theater Advisors. We've got the tri-state gentleman on today. How you doing, Mark? Doing great, Matt. Thanks for having me on, man. Glad to hear you're rooting for Boston <laughs> boy in the yesterday. Yeah. It, you know what? I Keegan is one of those guys that I've always rooted for, despite the fact he's from Boston. <laughs> Those socks. Well, he is. He's a huge Boston sports fan, which is which is great, and a pretty decent golfer. Uh, that's your hint if you didn't realize what we we're talking about. All right, gentlemen, let's kick this off with a story that comes to us today from CE Pro. Cyber attacks are increasingly targeting small businesses. Uh, some research from Black Fog has indicated uh, primarily most of the outcomes of these attacks are a loss of customers due to service outages and a loss of customer data. Uh, looks like 61% of small and medium-sized businesses reported being the victim of a cyber attack within the past year. Read through this report. They, they cover some pretty interesting stuff in here, uh, including 39% of those companies that responded reported a loss of customer data from the attack. Uh, now, again, they don't divulge what kind of data that is. Um, if they're doing it properly, it's literally just going to be a list of customers. Um, hopefully, there, there's nothing else in there. 87% uh, of IT decision makers said that they experienced two or more successful cyber attacks within the past month, um, which is highly concerning. Todd, let me let me start with you on this. These are, you know, medium to small businesses, uh, the, the companies that were that were referenced in this report. There has been a big push from our industry for us as integrators to play in that SMB, that mid-sized market, uh, with obviously AV solutions as well as some networking solutions. When you see a report like this, is there a way that we can help? businesses with these issues well or all the while maintaining some level of security uh and limited liability for us that that's actually a great question matt and you know when i was reading the article i was thinking to myself as well like how can i assist other businesses not to be hit you know with a cyber attack you know the really what it comes down to is a lot of our manufacturers like i use arachnus you know the cisco uh, and the list goes on and on, they put more uh, ways to deterrent the cybersecurity. But I don't think that based upon my knowledge and, and knowing networking, 
that I could really stop that from happening at this point in time based on today. But I probably am going to dig a little bit deeper into that because number one, we should have any network more secure, mm-hmm. especially that customers, my, a lot of my customers, you know, they do stocks from home. So they're, they're at liability for something happening to them, even though it's them only, they're their own business in a sense. Yeah. So I'm going to dig a lot more into it. Mark, when, when you see this, Todd mentioned, you know, the two of the, or a couple of the manufacturers that, that he's working with. Um, I don't know as much about the offerings of the first one, uh, cause we don't really play with them, but the second one he mentioned, and again, listen back, if you want to know who it is, they offer a lot of solutions for these types of problems, but let's be, let's be really, really blunt about it. The best firewall that comes with, you know, your generic router from any of these companies, it's going to be all right. It's not necessarily going to be great unless it's configured and managed in perpetuity. But more importantly, the majority of these attacks are from somebody clicking a bad link in an email, somebody opening something. Uh, So much of it is phishing and it all gets wrapped up into regular cybersecurity and someone saying, I got hacked. Is there a way that we can leverage both our manufacturers, but also our potential clients to find a way to play in this space? That's a great question. I mean, I'm similar to Todd. I don't play in that space today. I'm a little honestly nervous to for this reason. Um, I partner with an MSP when we need, when, if we have a small business that wants network work, we, we don't do it ourselves. We have a partner that we bring in who, whose, ex, whose expertise is in you know, commercial grade networking. And you know, we do a lot of business class networking or, or I call it professional grade, you know, Arachnus, Ruckus, um, but more on the residential side. When, it, when, when we get to the small businesses that are medium sized businesses that are looking for that you know, next level of equipment and protection and peace of mind. It's, it's just not where our expertise lays as a small company such as we are. So I've been, I've been partnering with, I found folks in my local market. Um, you know, we do a lot of their AV work. They do a lot, they do a lot of the MSP work. Um, but to your point, it's phishing. I don't know to what extent the firewalls can prevent that. I don't have the knowledge to answer that really, but it's a, it's a lot of education. I mean, as, as a small business owner, mm-hmm. I can't tell you how many, bogus emails I get every single day telling me, you know, with, with an yeah. invoice attached or a PO attached or, you know, click this link. Exactly. Someone's talking about you find out here. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. So you know, it's really education that you know, not only do you know who sent it to you, but you know, you got to look at the email address and say, is that really their email address or is it a spoof? I personally don't like to get involved in that. Like, you know, informing customers on, the day-to-day lives. Hey, if you have an email and it says, don't open it, it's just, it, it's kind of like outside of what we do in a sense. We advise, but networking and security like that has never been really something that we have dabbled in to that extent. So, so, so let me ask kind of both of you a question then before we move on. We've been told for years that we're supposed to own the network. Right. And I'll, I'll, I'll tell you this, because we do play in commercial networks. We do a lot of work with with SMB and mid-sized corporate, every single client that has ever been hit with a cyber, like a, a true cybersecurity hack, um, something where they there was an actual issue that had to be directly dealt with. 
each and every time it came from someone clicking mm -hmm. something. Right. They, they, they never got targeted. They never got it. Like it was vast, you know, blanket stuff. And to Mark's point, we've always gone the route of trying to teach our customers, especially again, our, our SMB customers. Hey, when you get an email that you haven't solicited, it's not from someone, you know, directly, or it doesn't look like something that you would expect from someone, you know, not only do you have to check the email address, you actually have to go check the header and you got to like, you got to open the actual file to look at the header and go, yes, that is the email because the phishing is so stinking good. Should that fall under part of our quote unquote, we own the network from, for myself and actually bringing that point across is if we do turn to the customer and say, we own the network, then technically own everything that comes after that at this point in time. But I'm kind of going to go into this kind of scenario. If someone gets into a car accident, is it the person or is it the car at that point? You know, there's only so much we could control. Just like you stated, if someone's phishing and they're going into an email and we have the most secure network there is, and they click onto that, how are we going to stop that? Really, based upon my little bit of knowledge, isn't there software that's built into your computer supposed to stop those kind of engagements and give them a warning on what's about to occur versus the physical networking equipment? And I'm asking that question. I don't know. You're so cute. <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> All right, gentlemen, let's move on to our next topic. This comes to us from Residential Tech Today. SnapOne has invested in cloud infrastructure to improve their system reliability from a good friend of the show, Mr. Jeremy Glowacki. Uh, they have accelerated investments into cloud, cloud infrastructure to provide greater value, efficiency, and operational reliability for their integration partners and clients. Um, they're doing a, a, a ton of stuff here. Uh, in their investment side into clouds, specifically to do a, a kind of a couple of things, obviously, increase connectivity uh, and processing power for like their overseas platform, but also to deliver faster connections between their app, the overseas uh, servers, and trying to reduce latency for Alexa and Google Voice integrations. Mark, let me let me start with you on this. Um, and And kind of to dovetail into the previous conversation, they've also invested heavily in uh, web application firewalls to try and improve backup, disaster recovery, et cetera. How much of this are we going to see on the front lines? Are you expecting to see from, from the investment? Do you accept, do, do you expect to see a discernible difference in, you know, those, those voice integrations working faster? Do you expect to see more reliability in oversee and and some of those other platforms how do you is this one of those investments that you're actually going to see i mean i don't know whether this falls under the same umbrella but maybe a year 18 months or so ago they invest they really had a big problem with false positives a lot of alerts mm -hmm. coming through that a system was offline and it wasn't and you know chasing our tails trying to see what was going on wait they fixed that because i don't think they did Virtually no false. I honestly get virtually no false. We're never watching this, and it's not fixed. It's, it's, you know, I get an occasional one here and there. But it's like you know, one device is offline. I'm like, oh well, you know, client probably unplugged it, or you know, the TV went to sleep or something. Or the software isn't working. Yeah. Exactly. No, but yeah, I've I, I've had very good experience with Oversee. Um, you know, we're pretty reliant on it. That that is the driver of our recurring revenue. We use Parasol for our 24/7 support, and that 
sits on top of Oversee. And that's been a, you know, it's, it's been a pretty successful program for me over the last two, three years since I really started pushing hard on it. Um, I think the, the uptake has been a little bit uh, less sticky over the last, or, or, or sticky is the wrong word, but been a little bit harder to get people to sign up over the last year, mm-hmm. year and a half. I think they're, they're less likely to sign up for a recurring monthly payment. I think they're getting just fatigue of monthly charges. Um, yeah. But I've seen improvement and I would think we would continue to see it. Um, you know, if, if the voice assistants are quicker and speedier, um, if the connection from the Control 4 app when you're remote and remoting into your home is faster, that's something clients want to see. And that was something that was improved about two years ago. They, it, it's dramatically faster with OS. I think it was OS 3 or 3.1 they did it. You're talking about the back end, like to get into the system? No, for, for, for an end user to use their app when yeah, they're for remote. for customer facing. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. Yep. They really made that a lot faster. They made connecting, actually, they made connecting for a dealer from um, Composer, which is the control for programming software, uh, connecting remotely is now a much faster process as well. So they've been making these improvements over the years. Um, so I would think they would continue to go down that path. I don't know how much they've picked the low hanging fruit and how much is really left, but you know, I guess time will tell. Yeah, that's a good point. Todd, let me, I'm not going to shift away from this, but I'm going to ask you, or, or get your insight on a a little bit more of an overarching question about this. We're seeing, obviously, this article is pointing to Snap One's investment in cloud, but we're seeing everyone having to invest heavily into cloud, whether it's Crestron, whether it's Panamax. It, it, it doesn't matter who, Lutron, everyone is having to inc- increasingly up their game from a cloud basis right? What we're doing through the cloud is requiring more resources, more investment, more time, et cetera. None of those price points are really coming down. If you're like, we use AWS fairly heavily internally for Omega. I'm not seeing it like those, that price point has not dropped. It has just increased. We're spending more and more every month and we're not necessarily doing more. It's just the costs keep going up. What at what point do you think we're going to start seeing the monthly costs for using these services from these manufacturers start to jump? And then when we have to pass that on to our customers, what is that going to look like? Cause you know, that's coming down the pipe. Oh yeah. It's right here. We're, we're, we're literally getting tickled with that at this point. It's coming very fast. Because you know what, what's happening right now, and I've been watching this for a long period of time. Listen, Oversee does a great job, and I use that as my platform, all kidding aside. That's what I'm constantly using. Yes, we got a lot of false alerts, but the software works. And at this point, what I'm waiting for is the first person to basically pop that bubble so every other manufacturer can come through. So now let's look at it this. Let's pinpoint it. So Snap One winds up you know, selling to us for X amount of dollars. Now Crestron's going to come around the corner and do it for X amount more. Maybe Control 4, Savant, you know, then we're talking about more networking solutions that are going to start offering more cloud. And then you're not only increasing yourself based on oversee, say 10 to $15 a month more, you're increasing yourself yeah. across the board for every single client base that you're dealing with, because most likely it's going to turn into licensing fees again. Well, we're, and they'll put it some other terminology that'll be a little bit more quirky and won't be as offending to people. So and we're just going to pay and we're going to keep on paying. But the thing is going to happen with us now asking our customers, 
how to pay for it. Are we going to go to our customers and selling them a package based on all these solutions and increase it? Or are we going to offer only the solutions through Oversee for everything, video, audio, networking, and the list goes on and on to save the cost. Now that's going to be based on dealer to dealer basis. But for myself is what I like to do is if it's a recurring fee, mm -hmm. then we have to offer the service contract. But for the first year, I put it into the product, the hardware cost. Yeah. And I'll discount it. I'm not going to put it on top of it. If a, if a router is $399, i am not going to charge $349. You know, I'm going to put it in, give them a little bit of discount for the first year. Then from there, we inform them from day one what those fees are going to cost. Now, as Mark and Matt, you were saying, is at this point in time, people aren't as engaged in working with the service plans or maintenance agreements. They're kind of falling back from that. They'd rather have the service calls as needed. Some other customers that are more problematic and more of touchers and like to handle and touch things in the system, those people a lot of time do go for it because they understand that there's nonstop issues where it benefits them. But the majority of the client base is pulling away from them. They don't want insurance. That's what people keep on telling me is I don't want insurance. I just want a system that works. And when I need to get a maintenance, just like a car, get an oil change, I'll contact you. If I see something sluggish, I'll contact you. But that's still not going to stop them from billing us just because our flow has gotten less with the maintenance agreements. We're going to have to figure out very soon because I believe this is the year that it's going to pop and we're going to have to be dealing with all these recurring costs. Let me pull that thread just, just for a second. My company has always taken the approach because we're in the same boat. The majority of our customers don't want to take the extended, you know, service plan, maintenance plan, recurring revenue plan. They they don't seem to care. The ones that do through the pandemic, we lost 80% of them. They did not renew. Do you, we've, we've essentially taken the approach a lot of times that we'll put that, those products in. And as long as we have consistent work with that customer right? We do the basement, we do the living room. Next year we do outside, we do the garage, we do the office, you know, whatever. As long as we've, we're doing work for them every, every year, every two years, we'll keep a lot of that stuff rolling in the background mm -hmm. just because it makes our job easier. Right. But you're not paying for it at this point. Well, we're, we're paying for it internally, but we're not billing the customer because they don't want to pay for it. But it does, you know, in the long run, it makes our lives easier. Is that the is that where you expect this to go? Do you, do you expect it to become a cost of doing business? I, I do. And that that's kind of, you just said it, it's, it comes down to the quality of life, right? Is this product, they mm -hmm. know that it's made our lives easier. So if there's a situation, all we do is a click away and we take a look at what happens. And then if we have to resolve it, then we just go into the internal ports and we go do what we need to do. And for me, that that's a huge value. And I don't want to have my quality of life changed at this point. So will I be paying additional fees for it? Yeah, I will. There's nothing that's gonna stop me from doing that, unfortunately, or stopping me from recruiting those payments because the products I use are the products I use and they're the ones who are gonna come first with the agreements, you know? Mark, is there a way to, like, do you just, at this point, do you just roll in, you know, that cost for five years on any decent sized project? You know, at this point, we tell clients is unless you're on a support plan, we can't log in remotely. We won't log in remotely. 
if you are not on the support plan and you need service, it's, it has to be, you know, we can, we will respond to your emails and phone calls during business hours. Um, it can take five to 10 days to get a tech on site. Um, and there's no remote support unless you're on a support plan. So that's kind of how we're combating it. And that is encouraging people to go for it. We have a very, very basic $15 a month support plan. Um, you know, we range up to $150 a month. We have a very basic one that allows us to log in. And then there's a, a charge every time we log in remotely. But mm -hmm. I think, you know, we'll right. maybe we have to change that pricing as, you know, AWS costs go up and overseas costs go up. Yeah, we'll have to go out and have to figure out how to, how to raise those prices or have people sign up for new plans or whatever. But um, that's that's how we're handling it at this point is saying if you don't if you don't aren't on a support plan you, you can't get remote support right that's a good point all right let's hit our last topic of the day because uh, it's cute um, this comes to us from ce pro c seeds foldable n1 outdoor tv looks like it belongs in a museum uh, this is a minimalistic structural outdoor entertainment uh, display it it sits on the ground it's a bunch of aluminum and then stands up, unfolds, and you get a, uh, what is it, 165 to, to oh, sorry, 165 or a 137 inch uh, LED display with a price tag starting at uh, just shy of a quarter million dollars US. Uh, they are available for order now and uh, delivery will be Q1 of 2024. Todd, is this, I love seeing these. I don't, none of my clients will ever buy this. Um, you may have a handful that might entertain this. These are cool to see, but do you think that this type of technology has any real market value penetration, anything, or is this again, just a 0.1 of the 1% that will actually look at this and entertain it? I think that's where it was developed is some rich guy was like, you know what I really would want to have my TV come out of the ground and, and expand up to like 130 inches. And then somebody said, I can help you create that. We can um, do that. He just cared about himself. Like it, it's not going <laughs> to sell like this. I have an issue selling a whole house to people for $250,000, let alone one single TV. Now, I wouldn't bring it up to my customer. I would be actually embarrassed to go to my customer and be like, hey, how would you like when you're in ground pool for a TV to pop out as cool as anything, kind of looks like a fan, and then it turns into a TV. And all you would need to give me right now is a quarter million dollars. That's right, just a quarter million, we're done. And then I would see swiftly, I would turn my back for a quick second and my ass would be kicked right out the door. <laughs> There's that. <laughs> There is that. All right, Mark. Um, typically, I would agree completely with Todd. Now, do I think the technology is cool? I do. Uh, do I think that there is a uh, market for this? Very, very small. That being said, I just got back from Boca Raton, Florida, which is, it's Boca, so we'll, we'll leave that there. But watching... Sitting on the con sitting at the condo watching the boats go up and down the intercoastal. There's all the normal 20 to 30 foot, you know, outboards. And then there's a couple mega yachts that always make it up and down the, yeah. the, the, the intercoastal heading out to sea. That area, you know, Boca, Miami, 
there are places where this would sell. Yeah. Does this show an opportunity for this to become not affordable, but accessible for a portion of the market? I mean, yeah, I mean, this TV, a, a version of this TV has been around for years. They had the one that this one lives above ground and comes out like a, a, yeah. a, a, a sculpture looking thing. They had one that came out of the ground that was fully buried. I remember like probably five years ago or more that was interesting. Yeah, from Stella. No, actually, Seed. It was a, it was a, it was a partnership with Seed and oh. Porsche. Yeah, never mind. Um, and and Stealth has one too that comes out of the ground or flips flips up from the from the deck. Uh, I'm cur- I'd be curious to know what the sales of that other and that other one. I think it was a million dollars the first Seed version. So I'm curious what they had for sales because to your point, Matt, there are people out there. There is someone out there buying a quarter million dollar car. There is someone out there buying you know building up you know. $50 million yeah. home, buying a $20 million, $50 million yacht. So the money is out there. There is that clientele on the residential side. I also could see this being something maybe on the commercial side. You know, a company has an outdoor, some kind of outdoor um, area, you know, maybe on the West Coast where it's, you know, 24-7, three uh, days a year, it's, it's nice weather and they can have some outdoor, you know, auditoriums or something. And this is visible in daylight. Um, so maybe there's a, a commercial application there as well. Yeah, that's a really good point. All right, gentlemen, let's wrap it up there. Thank you both so much for joining us. Mark, if people want to connect with you, learn more about Home Theater Advisors, where can they do that? Best is email mark at hometheateradvisors.com or um, on Facebook at HT Advisors. Excellent. Thank you, my friend. Mr. Puma, if people want to connect with you, learn more about the Source Home Theater uh, where can they do that? The same as Mark, you can connect with me by email, Todd at the source home theater.com. And uh, social media, I really haven't been doing much active on there. Really? I see you all the time. Uh, yeah, but it's related to it's all guitars. <laughs> a different market. It's all guitars. Yeah. <laughs> all right, gentlemen, thank you again for joining us. Thank you for listening in. If you'd like to connect with me, you can find me on Twitter at Matt D. Scott and most other social platforms. But more importantly, please visit aviation.tv where you'll find this show as well as a wide variety of other shows with all the verticals that we cover. When you visit the website, please take a moment to check out our supporters. We are extremely thankful for their support and ask that you check them out as well. Thanks again for watching. That's all the time we have for this episode of Resi Week. 